Today we're starting an end times mini-series. And because of the pitfalls surrounding this very important topic, we need to lay a foundation so that you will benefit. Okay? The bowls and the trumpets and the seals being broken and all of that, that's coming a little bit later. So if you're sitting and waiting for that, you're going to be disappointed today. I need to lay a foundation for you first. And the reason being is that we have so much deception going on around biblical teachings, particularly end times prophecy. So, in the spirit of keeping with our main teaching goals, which is to have a balance, and keeping with that balance. Now, for those of you who are new here and don't know my foundational teaching, let me share it with you. It's called the pendulum. And the pendulum on this side, it swings from this side to this side. Over here we have love. Love, love, love. And over here we have truth. And the truth and love in your life has a pendulum swing in it, okay? Now, you remember those old Timex watches back in the day when the battery would start going down, the second hand would just get stuck? Anybody remember that? Well, some of us get stuck in the pendulum. We get over here in the love, and we just get stuck over here. We just love, love, everything is God is love, so we must love everybody. Let the drag queen come in and teach the children because I'm loving. And then we get over here to the truth people. And they get stuck. They get, they just, God's word says. And if you are there, you're awful. And my favorite Bible verses, and God smote them. <laughs> what we want is a balance between truth and love. Get this and hold on to it for the rest of your natural born life because it will change your life. It's not just in truth and love. There's a balance in everything, in our marriage, there's a balance between compliments and, compl- and, and, uh, and complaints, yes? you got to balance it out. There's, there's a balance in everything that we do, nutrition and actually eating food that tastes good. <laughs> see, here's the fight. If you see Michael Spinks against Mike Tyson, there's a versus in there. What is our battle? Let me tell you what it is. Prayer and being in the word and true growth versus the constant battle against the fake gospel. If you are saved or you have been thinking about being saved or you are in this world, you're in this church for a reason, chances are God is calling you to something. And what Satan wants to do is not tell you that all this is untrue because you're wise enough to know that it is true. You've tasted and you know that it's good. So now what, God, what the devil wants to do is he wants to feed you a fake gospel. And a lot of times it tastes great, folks. It tastes great. It just settles sour. That's the problem. So my only end, grow, end game in all of this, whether it's the David series, the end time series, any Sunday you come here, I have one purpose that's, that dominates everything else. And that is your growth and a balanced sanctification process. Now, some of you don't know Jesus, so that means we need to put a little evangelism in from time to time and give you an invitation to accept Jesus as your Savior. But a lot of times people say, every time you get up to share the Word of God, if you don't do that, you're making a mistake. I feel like that's not true. I've heard the gospel message ad nauseum a thousand times. I need some meat. Quit trying to feed me Gerber baby food every day. So for the meat, some people get into end times prophecy. And what is that? It's so deep, it actually has its own name. Do you know what it is? It's called eschatology. Eschatology. What is the dictionary definition of eschatology? This is what it says. Ready? 
The part of theology concerned with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul of humankind. Oh. It even adds this little caveat in the dictionary. You ready? It says, Christian hope is concerned with eschatology or the science of the last things. Want to start this ministry understanding that there's quite a bit of deception out there. I feel like this is, there, there's a reason for the deception that's in eschatology. <clears throat> and it's vanity and a quest for significance. Now, how do I say that? I say that because it seems to me like every scholar out there wants to be the one to add up all the pieces and come up with the strategy and or solution of the mystery of Jesus' return. And so in their own vanity and their own quest for significance, they start putting all the puzzle pieces on the board and they think they got it figured out. Remember when Jesus was coming in 2012? Are, are we all left behind? Did he come back and take three people? No. No man knows the day or hour as we're going to get to in our scripture in just a minute. But I want to get this set up so that you understand what we're dealing with here. See, there's so many end times wannabe scholars. It's just like, wow. So I want to start by cautioning you, who are you listening to in regards to the end times particularly, and what is their end game? You learn that, you learn a lot, just saying. So in studying the scriptures, but specifically studying eschatology, end times, I want you to remember three things. Ready? Honesty, authentic, and truth. Honesty, authentic, and truth. Now, that's for all the scripture, but particularly in end times, because you take Daniel and Revelation and Zechariah and some of the stuff in Joel and some of the stuff in some of the other scriptures, and you merge it all together in one thing, it's amazing what God's doing and what he's done and what he's going to do. But to think that you're going to figure it all out, that you're going to have all the magic elixir, that's vanity. If you would read one little piece of the Bible, it would save you a lot of headache. It says, no man knows the day or hour. And the other one is, is God's ways are much higher than our ways. So there's mysteries of God's we're just never going to figure out. So we look for honesty, we look for authentic, and we look for the truth. And I want to give you an example of that today. I want to show you a photo to illustrate the point of honesty, authentic, and truth. And this photo is an actual photo not photoshopped in any way, shape, or form, of me in Pamplona running with the bulls. It's true. There is a picture of me that was taken in Pamplona, Spain, of me running with the bulls. You guys want to see it? All right. I'm just telling you, it was a scary moment. But I did it, and I lived through it. All right, Chris, show the picture. Why are you laughing? I could have gotten hurt. I could have gotten maimed. Why are you laughing? See, there's zero Photoshop in this picture. Here's the honesty. This picture was in fact taken in Pamplona, Spain. This picture is in fact a picture of me running with the bulls. Is it not? The truth, although the facts are that I'm in Pamplona, that Emily took the photo, it's obvious the running of the bulls is happening in the photo, right? So what's the deal? Well, this is a mural of, uh, it's a big photo mural of the running with the bulls. It's located at a cafe right off the town square in Pamplona. 
So Emily had me stand in front of it, embarrassing myself, <laughs> doing these different scenes so she could take these pictures. And we, were, we had a lot of fun doing it. In fact, some of the locals got, you know, got involved, and pretty soon we're having tapas and having a great time. <laughs> so it's true. This is a picture of me taken in Pamplona showing me running with the bulls. But is that the truth? Would you be thinking of when you hear, uh, I'm going to look at a picture of Chris running with the bulls in Spain. Is this the truth claim that you were thinking of? See, the truth claim I am making about this photo is at the very least misrepresentation when I say I've got a picture of me in Pamplona running with the bulls. It's not photoshopped. Everything I said is true about it. But if it's misrepresentation in some circles, that's called a lie, yeah? So the truth claim of this picture is factual, but it is not truthful, is it? Does that make sense? Same way, when you hear certain truth claims about the end times, you need to look for the catch. I'm going to give you some helps along the way, but it comes down to what did God actually say and what did it actually mean? Now, I'm going to help with all that, but first step is determining, are we in the last days or are we a ways off? Okay? Determining how much time is left on the prophetic clock is one thing. Understanding that we are called to be looking for Jesus' return every day is another. Okay? So today, I'm going to look at four elements that will, without, without a doubt, accompany the end times calendar and the arrival of our king. It's the second coming of Jesus. Now, if you don't know Jesus, again, hang with me the best you can. My phone number is available. My office is open. I'm, I'm here to talk to you anytime if you don't know Jesus. But this is not for you. So if you don't understand, that's going to be normal if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Don't, don't get mad. Don't get upset. Come talk to somebody like me or one of the elders. But if you know Jesus, these four elements are for you. And I want to start with Luke 17, 26 through 27. It's not even our, our, our text today, but I just want to show you this as like a preamble. Verse 26 of Luke 17 says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Okay, let's get into our text now. Matthew 24, 32 through 39. Here we go. It adds the fig tree to the whole thing, but it reinforces what we just read. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. No one knows that day or hour. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but God the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So then what were the days of Noah like? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. It said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out the man whom I have created from the face of the land, 
man and the animals and the creeping things and the birds of the heavens. I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pause for a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that these would be your words to your children. We thank you for the scriptures, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the four elements that mark the last days. Let's get the context of the days in Noah. The activities described are not sinful. They simply indicate a culture where no thought was given to God or the consequences of one's activity. That sound like 2023? Jesus is teaching us the truth that the last days will resemble the days just prior to the flood which destroyed all of the people in Noah's day. The evidence of the global flood is so overwhelming that again, vanity-seeking, significance-seeking scholars want to say that it was regional or that it was localized. The evidence is overwhelming. It was global, folks. And he tells us this so that we may be able to discern the times and know the end is near. Now, I look at the writings of scholars who believed they were in the last days going all the way back to the 1800s. And many of them thought Hitler was the Antichrist for sure. You know what I mean? So when we get these end times things in our head, one of the things I want to encourage you is to discern the times and to be looking for Jesus' return because he might come for you today. He came for Dave Pierce yesterday. You follow? Just because Jesus may not have a rapture in his second coming until 500 years from now doesn't mean your time is 500 years because we both know that it's not. So discern the times. Have you ever seen a green sky? <clears throat> Excuse me. Have you ever seen a green sky? Ever watched the sky turn green? I mean, in Iowa, you have to. I mean, you named your high school team the Cyclones. Come on. <laughs> oh, man, I really should rephrase that now. I've been here a year. We named our high school team the Cyclones. <laughs> I have twice. Twice I've seen the sky just green as green. And both times what followed was the onslaught of two of the worst storms I've ever ridden out. The green color does signify the storm is severe. Here's how it goes. The color from the water droplets suspended in the storm, absorbing red sunlight and radiating green frequencies. Whatever that means. You want me to read that again like I know what I'm talking about? The color from the water droplets suspended in the storm, absorbing red sunlight and radiating green frequencies, which everybody should know. I hate that smugness in people who give us information like they know it. Dude, you're getting 20 bucks to read the script. Shut up. <laughs> what I know is that both times, both times that sky turned green, roofs were blown off. And we were thankful for cover, for strong shelter. Well, today I'd like to say that there are forces in operation today similar to those that are active in Noah's day, and I'm telling you the sky is turning green. So let's look at the elements today that mark the last days. Point number one is the acceleration of sinfulness. The acceleration of sinfulness. And I want to talk about it in two contexts, the lack of spiritual separation and the lack of spiritual discernment. See, God's demand is that we separate, those of us who are called by his name, we separate from elitism, extreme leftism, false religion and the like. We, we come out of that. Where does it say that? It says that in 2 
Corinthians 6, uh, 17 and 18. Right there, let's look at it. It says, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them. Well, I don't know. I don't know what that means, Lord. And touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. So what have some people done with that? They've turned it into a legalistic thing. Almost going as far as the Jews where they won't touch any unclean thing kind of thing. That's, this scripture is where the phrase that I have shared with you that annoyed me no, to no end when I was in high school is this is where the, the you know, you get to that fork in the road, you can go a godly way with this or you can go a, a, a personal secular way with this. And when you go a personal secular way with this, you become important. And everybody's behavior around you becomes more important and you become, I can't go with that person, I can't go. And you get that phrase, we don't drink and we don't chew and we don't go with those who do. And I'd be sitting there going, all right, see you later. Whatever, you know. The grace that God wants us to have for other people has to be absorbed in this scripture as well. Does that follow? But make no mistake about it, you can't walk arm in arm with the world and claim Jesus. Jesus says so, not me. So, we got to be welcoming to all in our society. We have this general let's all get along mentality. And we must be as cordial as possible. But make no mistake, we are not to be yoked with unbelievers. It's a, it's a reality. And why? Because there's a lack of moral standards. Genesis 6, 5 says this. We just read it. Let's look at it again. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and in every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You guys know me. For those of you just visiting, I have three passions outside of church and family, and that's NASCAR, football, and hockey. And I can't watch. I mean, if there's racing on, I don't even care if it's a race I don't want to watch. I'll have it on in the house. It's like ambiance. It makes, just makes me feel better, you know? It's like the way flowers make some ladies feel good. NASCAR in the background does that for me. Don't judge. Don't judge. <laughs> The point is, is I can't watch my sports without the commercials just being one demonic after another demonic after another demonic after another demonic. The pornification of our culture in the middle of live sporting events is absolutely heartbreaking. Why? Because there's a lack of spiritual discernment. Men and women are blind to the truth of Scripture, the demands of a holy God and the approaching judgment of God. And dare I say, those of who have been justified in Jesus get soft in their Americanism and they are also then lacking spiritual discernment. It happens to all of us. That's why the Bible says daily in keeping with repentance. Why? Because daily his mercies are renewed each day. Why? Because you need it every day. Because you wobble, you drift. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us that Satan is responsible for a portion of this blindness. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So when Satan blinds you, guess what? I can't lift that veil, nor can an elder of this church, nor can your spouse, nor can your children, nor can your parents. Jesus Christ is the only one who can lift that veil but you gotta come to them. Man and women, men and women, they are responsible as well. 
for some of the things that happened to them. Joshua 24, 15 says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's look at that same verse in the NIV. I want you to see one thing. Let's pull it up. Do you see that first line there? But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then you go ahead in your own way and we'll respect it because you gotta be you and follow your heart. <gasps> Doesn't say that. It says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then you gotta choose. If it's undesirable, then walk away. If it's undesirable for you, then quit playing games because this one foot in and one foot out thing, Jesus doesn't roll that way. He says, you're lukewarm, I'm kicking you out. Spitting you out of my mouth in that time to use that phrase literally meant I'll kick you in the crotch. Jesus didn't pull punches. Jesus was alive and he was in your face about this truth. So much so that 12 weak, pathetic guys are the ones that started this whole movement, which is eternally changing the lives of millions and billions of people. So if it seems undesirable to you, you have to choose this day. What he's saying in there is about the ancestors and the Euphrates and the gods of the Amorites. We can fill that in in our own world. You want the God of your job, of your career, of your bank account? You want the job of, of uh, or you want the God of, of all these other things? You want to mix in the God of the rainbow flag and how much love you have for that community? You want to mix that in with here? Go ahead. Go ahead. If serving the Lord truly seems undesirable to you, step off. Save us all the headache and just go. But if you want Jesus because he saved you and you know he's calling you and you know you're too weak to even go after him so he's got to help you go after him, then choose this day to serve the Lord. Because if you want to deal with the end times and you don't have that, you're nothing. You, you mean nothing. Your opinion means nothing to me. You figure out all the mysteries of God? I, I don't think you did. You need Jesus, and as for me and my house, today's the day we're going to serve the Lord. So when we play this out, what happens is, is that those of us Christians go over here, and the people that go and serve their own gods, you know, by the Euphrates and the Amorites and fill it in for America, what do they have happen? You watch it happen. Sin no longer is sinful because it's all in how I want to decipher it. If I choose that it's not sinful, it's not sinful for me. It may be sinful for you. So then we get into taking the meat sacrifice to idols because there are things that are sinful for me and not for you that are sinful for you and not for me. That's real, but not the heavy things. We're talking about minor things now. We're talking about cultural things. And that's a whole other story. But if sin is no longer sinful to you, there's a reason for that. Maybe you're blinded. Maybe you need that veil lifted. Why does Jesus say eyes to see and ears to hear? Because those of us who are saved see things and hear things, and we know things that others can't. It's not that they don't, it's that they can't. That's why we have grace for them, until Jesus lifts that veil. Point number two, as sin becomes no longer sinful, that creates a coming storm. A coming storm. Green clouds, folks. A flood was coming in Genesis 6, 7, and they weren't ready for it. There's a rapture and a great tribulation on the horizon, and man is still unprepared to meet God. Matthew 24, 44 says this. 
It says, therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Even if Jesus' return for all of his church is years away, his returning for you can be any time, even today. Even today. This world is headed towards judgment and doesn't realize the magnitude of the force of the storm it faces. Hell, calamities, tribulation. There's a storm coming and people must be warned. And there are days, I have moments, where I am frustrated that God chose me to tell some of these people because I know they're not going to heed. But Jesus says, tell them anyway. Tell them anyway. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5 says this. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And we see that alive and well today. Verse 4. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Biblical myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And I know that the translators didn't put that in all caps, but I wish they would have. Fulfill your ministry. See, they may not heed, but they need to be told anyway. I've been told by God, I got to tell them. I came to Harlan, Iowa because he put me here. I mean, some of you also want to tell them because I'm here. So together, we're going to figure out how to tell them. We need to be involved. Everybody needs to be involved. What does it say? It says, fulfill your ministry. Because the sky is getting more and more shades of green every single day. This week it was reported in the Epic Times and outlines by a reporter named Augusto Zimmerman. I love that name. Augusto. Guys, if I was ever going to change my name, I'd be Augusto. But I don't think I could just get up and say, hi, I'm Augusto. I think I'd have to do it dramatically every time. Hi, I'm Augusto. Sorry. I was thinking of that in my office this week and just popped back in my head. I had to clear it so we can go on. Otherwise, I'd just be stuck there. All right, so he, he reported that there's a new global emergency platform. Who heard this this week about the new global emergency platform? Oh, not a single hand. One of the greatest things that's coming our way that's going to change our lives and nobody heard about it. I wonder why. Hmm. As a journalist major, I can't imagine what's going on in the propaganda cycles. All right, here's the deal. This is what the UN is getting set up to use as a possible global tyranny uh, platform. See, last September in 2022, the UN Attorney General Assembly adopted a resolution 75-1, which contains a declaration emphasizing, are you ready? the need to improve preparedness for not only health-related crises, but also for other challenges in crisis. That's the quote. Anybody remember monkeypox? Man, were they sad that didn't take off. So now, September 2024, uh, next month will be one year away, the organization is going to host the Summit of the Future, where member states will be invited to adopt agreement that further consolidates globalist policy reforms offered over the past two years, including the notorious UN 2030 Agenda and the Paris Climate Agreement. 
If you don't know what those things are, you should look into them, because if UN 2030 goes into effect, we'll all have to have UN ID cards, and on those ID cards, we'll also be attached to a social score, which if you don't line up with the religion of America, which by the way now is LGBTQ, don't kid yourself, that's our religion now. If we don't line up with that, then we can be denied services. We can be denied banking. You guys hear about all those Christian companies that lost their banking rights with like seven different institutions? Of course you didn't. The mainstream media doesn't report that. This is called Our Common Agenda is the United Nations vision for, you ready? Strengthening global governance for the present and future generations. And many radical proposals are contained in this important document, but the most important is a plan for a new emergency platform to respond to, remember this phrase, complex global shocks. A complex global shock is vaguely described in the document, that even makes it worse, but it's an event with severe disruptive consequences for a significant portion of the global population that leads to secondary impacts across multiple sectors. Did you follow that? So basically, arrangements are proposed that should and would activate such emergency platforms in the event of any type of global complex shock. Details of the emergency platform are laid out in the March policy paper. These, this is all public documents, folks. Now, curiously, uh, that document pushes the understanding that the global response to COVID-19 was insufficient because of the lack of mechanisms to ensure that all countries had adequate solutions. Now, listen now. This proposal, which the globalists are drooling over, endows the UN Secretary General the authority to convene and, operation, convene and operationalize automatically an emergency platform in the events of future complex global shock of sufficient scale, severity, and reach. So then, what is the range of risks that could lead to activation of this platform? They tell us. You want to hear it? Broad and diverse are the possibilities. And they included a few examples, but they're basically leaving it open-ended. Whenever they want to pull the trigger, they can make something up. It includes future pandemic risks, global digital connectivity disruption, a climate change. Ah, there's a good one. Mentioned as an example of global shocks that could, would activate the emergency platform. I can't remember if I stood here or where I was standing, but it was somewhere public where I talked about the fact that just a couple of weeks ago it's been exposed that they're taking measurements of the temperatures from the ground instead of from two meters in the air. Two meters off, the, off the, the temperature right here is what we've done for over 100 years. Now they're doing it on the ground. Why? Because the ground's always hotter than the air. So they can make it just look like we're hotter than we were. I don't know if there's climate change. I just know God's in control. And I know there's so much garbage surrounding it that it makes me wonder. So if you can create anything that's broad and diverse, you can automatically become the world's dictator. What we just witnessed, in my opinion, this week, was the initial constitution of a new form of global governance. The Antichrist just got handed a plowed road of tyrannical global government, and it happened last week. Now, add the global digital currency that was installed last month in July, social scores, along with the new creative ways to prove you're human, which will work out incredibly well with the Mark of the Beast in Revelation 13, and we've got the makings of an end times hootenanny. 
It's here, folks. It's been brewing for a while. But I think we're really close to saying it's brewed, it's time to drink. It can only brew for so long. Sooner or later, you got to drink it. It truly shows, when you study this, man, you know what pops off in my office when I'm studying this stuff? The long arm of mercy of our Father in heaven. Because he should have toasted us long ago. But we're still here. We still got another day. We still got another week, maybe, to share the gospel, to pray for people, to be busy. That's our third point. Our Savior's busy. Our busy Savior is our third point. In Genesis 6, 5 through 6, God was busy in Noah's day. He was observing, cataloging the activity and condition of the world. He still sees everything that happens in the worlds and in the mind and in the hearts of man. And the fact that I know that God knows everything about me when I complain and murmur, I even feel more guilty because I should never do that with a heavenly father who loves me as much as he does. But he sees it all. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Keep watch on the evil and the good. Hebrews 4.13 says this, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Mm-hmm-hmm. You want to know why there's so many lies in evolution? Proven lies? In court, testified under oath? Yeah, we lied. Because of this right here. Because you might have to give an account if you can prove somehow that God doesn't exist, you won't have to give account anymore. At the end of the day, this is what it's all about. Do you have to stand before a holy God and give account or do you not? I believe we do. And I believe that it's foolish to think otherwise. The Bible goes so far as to say that there's enough natural revelation in just nature, there's enough revelation of God that all people are without excuse on judgment day. And so it makes us sad when we sin. We know that God is disturbed by our sin. Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Now some of us in this room, by your own testimony, and some of you have heard some of mine, some of us have had to reap stuff we didn't sow. It was pretty sour stuff that we were reaping. I don't know. I don't know why. I wish we could come to Jesus and it's nothing but rainbows and llamas from here on out. Just happy days, music playing, checkered tablecloths, like the way I thought my marriage was supposed to be. Then Emily came along. (laughs) I kid. I always tell people, I said, have you been married longer than five minutes? Yeah, you're probably fighting about something. Happens. God was working in Noah's world, and we must also remember that regarding how bad the world gets, regardless of how awful it gets in your world, God is always doing his work. He's always on the job. There's been many times that that thought is what kept me going another hour, another day, another week. Psalm 121, 3 and 4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He is working on our behalf. Nothing is taking him by surprise. And now is the time to trust him in deeper ways. Our confidence cannot shake now. I know there's more than a dozen of you. And that's why I'm here. We're talking about men and women who are so sold out for Jesus, they can't 
see their next breath. They don't even care. And I'm here because of them. And those people, along with me, we are going to stand firm, and we want all of you to join us. And many of you have already chosen to join us. We don't have membership here. We just ask people to come. We want to feed good spiritual food. But our confidence cannot shake right now. Point number four, confident spokesperson. Noah was God's mouthpiece in that day. He preached for coming judgment for 120 years without a single convert. Yet he preached on. What grace. Even while God was planning judgment, he was still reaching out to sinners. You guys see that? He still had Noah sharing. He could have destroyed the world instantly, but instead he gave them 120 years of grace. That's God. We are God's spokesperson in this day. Our duty before the Lord is to be certain that we do our duty before the Lord. For those of you daydreaming, let me say that again. Our duty before the Lord is simply to do our duty before the Lord. So what is our duty? Oh, it's various, but there's one thing that's first and foremost. We are to go and tell. We're not guaranteed any results. We're just commanded to do it. And there are business cards over here somewhere that are just little invitations to church. If, if that's the level you're at, that's awesome. You may never open your mouth and say to another person, Jesus is my Lord and I'd love to talk to you about him. But you can still go and tell. There's creative ways. The first thing that you can have is you can have a church that you know is going to tell and then you invite these people to the church. And I'm here to tell you, I'm giving you my word, we will from this pulpit share the word of God without reservation, without apology, and without watering it down. And sometimes that makes me look like a, uh, like a jerk. And again, I try to care. I, I just don't. <laughs> look, I got enough people that love me, so you can hate me all you want. I really don't care. But I really, would, every time I meet anybody that comes through new and I start to get to know them, all, you know what goes in my head? If they know Jesus, I'm going to party with them in the New Jerusalem forever forever. Then I see other people that I know got the forgiveness of Jesus, and I'm like, Lord, please don't sit them by me at the, at the marriage supper. Please don't sit them next to me at the marriage supper. But then God's grace will come over, and you'll love them too, even though you don't like them. It's crazy. <laughs> we go and tell. We're not guaranteed any results. We are just commanded to do it. And I have done this and had huge success. And I have done this and had huge failures. What's the difference? I don't know. I could dissect it and say, I could have been a better orator here. Uh, maybe there was sin in my life here. You know, maybe my prayer life wasn't good. Here. I mean, no. God decides. God decides. The heart of the Christian gains rest by fulfilling the commands of God. If you don't have rest and peace in your life, ask yourself, are you Doing your duty before the Lord. What is your duty? I don't know. You, you would know. Noah in the ark, he could rest with the assurance that he had done what God had commanded him to do. Look, the, the church board here 
was committed to this ex uh, extension after they got a new pastor before they even knew my name. You follow? They, they're committed to doing this thing. There, there were people that came in and were committed to having the donuts ready for you today. Peter and Linda were committed to being there to welcome you into the furnace room at 9.15 at the end of the hall to pray for the service today. Do you see what I'm saying? You, there's commitment to just do and let God have the results. We've done this for decades, folks. And it's hard when God gives you a bunch of success and you do the exact same thing and you get nothing but failure. So you say, well, we'll ring the bell one more time and all of a sudden we get success again. Okay, let's keep doing that. Now we're failing again. Remember Three Card Monty from two weeks ago? Bible idiots. Just ring that bell one more time. Just marriage conferences, you know. Should we keep doing that? Comedy. I, I don't know. I don't want to bury any talent in the dirt. I'll do whatever Jesus wants me to do as long as it includes go and tell. And now, because of what I've committed to and because of what y'all asked me to commit to, if I go and tell, it has to be in the umbrella as the pastor of Fresh Encounter Church or I'm taking a step down in God's economy. In other words, if somebody calls me and says, we want you to come and speak at this two-week conference in Nashville, if it doesn't work with Fresh Encounter Church, to take that gig would be a step down in God's economy. Do you follow? You have your duty. You have your mission. These are the last days. Look around. Anyone can see that we're there. I'm thankful that I'm saved. And I will never have to face the wrath of God's judgment. And that is everything. Now, that can be the last days for anyone because anyone can die at any time. Did you all hear about the lady in Texas this week mowing her lawn? Big acreage. Her husband was mowing the north side. I think they had three acres there. She was doing the four acres on the, on the west side. Open air Texas, mowing her lawn. And she's mowing along, and all of a sudden, out of the sky, a four-foot snake hit her right on the arm. And it coiled immediately. And it started, it started attacking her in the face. And then an eagle came and grabbed the snake, and, and the talons are flying. And this all went down, she said, in like three or four seconds. And all she was screaming was, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. That's in the article. This, I think this happened Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. It's, it's fresh news. And the eagle got the snake and took off. Well, the snake had been spitting stuff at her. So she goes to get her husband. They rush to the emergency room, and it turns out she's fine. She's got some hacks all over, but she's fine. Traumatized, but fine. How would you ever mow the lawn again? <laughs> I can tell you, I've already thought this through, because since this story came out, I mowed my lawn. <laughs> and you're driving around looking off. <laughs> I if this happened to me, I would mow my lawn with a big umbrella. <laughs> I would have to. There's another story in Oregon that they believed, uh, they, they've traced it down. This couple was driving along. They'd been married for like three months. And they, they decided they were going to take uh, a weekend away and drive in through the rolling hills of Oregon. And uh, uh, a log came through the windshield as they're driving about 50 miles an hour and killed them both. Turns out an eagle or a falcon or something had picked up this log and was carrying it and lost it and it came out of the sky. 
You don't know. Weird things happen. Jesus is calling you to be his today because when you accept him today, you have him forever. And when you have him forever, then everything starts to bubble down and make sense. And my one takeaway from this, besides go and tell, is that there's a lost world all around that needs to be told about Jesus Christ and salvation so you get into God's word and have no anxiety about the end times because just know Jesus has you. And so I ask you today, in light of these facts, are you doing all that the Lord Jesus has commanded you to do? And understand, there's a difference between the Lord commanding us to do something and the Lord suggesting for us to do something. Sometimes people say, I can't figure out God's will for my life. It's like, well, what's your will for your life? And then ask God if it lines up with Scripture, if it lines up with Him. You know, I went to God and I said, I don't know if I should go to college to be a doctor or a lawyer. I just, I can't make a decision. i got to pick my major. I don't know what God wants me to do. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What does God call? Do you think God might line up your desires? If you're a parent out there and your child comes to you and says, ah, i got to pick a major, I don't know what to do. I don't know about you, but I'm not telling him to be a doctor and I'm not telling him to be a lawyer. I'm going to say, what do you want to do, child? I want you to do what you want to do. God sometimes wants us that way too. But mostly, I want you to be willing Willing to serve Jesus. And it may not even be here at Fresh Encounter. But if you are here at Fresh Encounter and you're deciding this is your place, I really want you to participate. Participate in Kids Encounter Church. Participate in greeting. Participate with Ross in the food ministry. You know, we got so many things that we want to do together. And so participate. Because the days are short. The end is near. Jesus loves you. And for those of you who are his... Let's start the party in the New Jerusalem right now. Next Saturday on the green, huh? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you. And even though it seems like the sky is getting green, we fear not because you are our strong shelter. And in you we rest. And even like you could take a nap in the boat during the storm, let us find rest in you during this time. Thank you for this group of folks that we can worship in freedom and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from freshroadmedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener supported and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson and thank you so much for spending some time with us today and may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.